Welcome to the Open Bible Podcast, a resource of Church of the Open Bible in Swift Current, Saskatchewan. In today's episode, Pastor Jay and Pastor Joe tackle the topic of personal sin and the Christian. Hello, Church and guests. This is Pastor Jay Hines. And Pastor Joe Sorgen. Welcoming you to another episode of the Open Bible Podcast. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. On today's episode, we will be looking together at chapters 38 to 39 of Charles Ryrie's book, Basic Theology, which concludes section 8 and his discussion of the biblical doctrine of sin by presenting in these chapters what the Bible teaches about personal sins and sin in the Christian life. So let's start with that first subject, personal sins. Uh, What are personal sins and how do they differ from what we looked at last week, uh, inherited sin and imputed sin? Yeah, I think uh, Ryrie has a very helpful chart as far as how personal sins differ from inherited and imputed. And personal sins, of course, means um, it's not the sin that we're, we're born with, the sin nature like we talked about last week. It's the sins that we actually actively commit, whether that's just in our heads our heart attitudes are actually outwardly uh, doing that. That's the basic definition of personal sins, but essentially how, how it differs from inherited and imputed sin is in the transmission of the sin, the consequence of the sin, and ultimately uh, also the remedy of the sin. Although I would argue that really the remedy is quite similar, um, but uh, it all comes back to the cross. Um, but anyways, so we see inherited sin, uh, as we talked about last time, goes from generation to generation, like I got it from my parents and so on and so forth. Uh, Imputed sin, I got from Adam. It was directly from Adam to me. And as far as how personal sin is transmitted, it's not. Uh, I have committed sin myself. uh, Therefore, I have committed personal sins. It's not transmitted from anyone to anyone else. It's simply uh, you yourself. As far as consequence, last time we talked about inherited and imputed sin Uh, the consequence of those being death, essentially, whereas personal sins in the life of a believer, at least, um, the consequence is loss of fellowship, Uh, loss of fellowship with with God. We don't have that same uh, tight fellowship. Uh, We don't, we're not abiding in the vine, and nor is he abiding in us when we are living uh, in, in sin, personal sin as believers. And then finally, as I mentioned, the remedy ultimately is the cross in, in every single situation. Um, but with imputed sin, it was, of course, imputed righteousness. Inherited sin, it was uh, redemption. And with personal sins, it is ultimately forgiveness, like we see in like 1 John 1, 9 as an example. Um, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that's just a very, very brief uh, summary, I suppose, of uh, some of the differences between personal, inherited, and imputed sin. Yeah, and like you said, it is a helpful little chart. If you're reading along in the book, you might want to check that out again. Um, I know the way I would think about personal sins or define it are the specific ways we rebel against God and disobey his law. Or we could say the specific ways our sin nature expresses itself in our personal lives. And of course, there is much scripture that talks about personal sins that we commit, And probably one of the most well-known is in Romans 3, Romans 3, 19 to 18, Paul is making his case in the first chapters of the book of Romans that all of us are sinful. We're all rebels against God. We're all sinners. And this is sort of the climax of that argument he's making. I just want to read it. He says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. 
None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And so notice again, that these personal sins deal with sinful thoughts, sinful words, sinful deeds, sinful attitudes, but really all come down to the fact there's no fear of God. It is that uh, rebellion against him that shows itself in personal acts of sin, of rebellion and disobedience. And I would just say too, and I think Ryrie points this out, this is probably what most people think of when they hear the word sin. They tend to think more of the actual specific sinful actions we each um, uh, do. And yet again, we remember from what we saw last week, that comes out of a sin nature, right? We sin personally because we are sinners personally, that sin that we've inherited from uh, our, our parents and them from their parents all the way back to Adam. So those are personal sins. Now, a question people often ask about personal sins is, are some of those sins worse than others? Are, are there greater sins and lesser sins? Are there different degrees of personal sin? Uh, what would you say to that, Joe? Yeah, it's, uh, it's not always the easiest question to answer, but I think a, a good way of thinking about it is, uh, first of all, just remembering and recognizing that before God, all sin uh, deserves and demands uh, eternal punishment. Uh, and, and we need to make that very clear first. So uh, as far as the, the degree of punishment of sin before God, it's all the same. It all deserves eternal punishment. But all sin is not equal in its relation to ourselves and to others. Of course, uh, I can sin in such a way that uh, it, it would affect others in a greater way than a different sin. And, and just a few examples of this. Uh, of course, we know the Bible tells us don't lie. Lying is uh, is a serious sin. But uh, we also can read um, that that lying for someone like a government official, perhaps, would be uh, more serious because they maybe would be committing treason by doing that. And they're in a position of, of responsibility or respons uh, a position of power. And so in, in some ways, that, that sin of lying because of the situation that they're in is actually worse because of their position. And an example that's kind of similar to this is in John chapter 19, uh, verse 11. And this is where uh, Jesus is before Pilate. And he says to Pilate, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. This is one of the times in the Bible where we see that there seems to be this, uh, a little bit of this idea of a greater sin against others. And, uh, and so the idea there is the one who delivered uh, Jesus over to Pilate committed a greater sin because they were the religious authorities than uh, Pilate himself. So that's one example. Other examples would be um, in, in the uh, idea of uh, like sexual sin. Of course, uh, again, all sexual sin is is sin. It's all awful. Um, but uh, you know, if it's outside of the context of of man and wife, um, and um, then then we know that it's sin. But yet, I think we can also understand that there would be some sins that would be considered worse than others. Uh, as an example, of course, pedophilia would be an example of that. Uh, 
just even culturally, it's very obviously uh, a sin, uh, much more punishable, maybe we could say, than than the sin of adultery. Of course, both are awful. Both are um, disobedience before a perfect and holy God. Um, but we can understand that there's a little bit of this difference of degree of sin in regards to our relation to ourselves and to others. And actually, 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says that uh, when we sin sexually, we're sinning against our own body, which in a, in a sense makes it greater or worse to some degree, we could say. Again, not in the eternal sense, not in the sense that somehow there's um, that, that one kind of sin is not deadly and doesn't lead to judgment where others uh, do, um, but just has different effects right? Even just different consequences in this life. But it's also interesting, like in Proverbs 6, 16 to 19, there's pointed out these seven sins that are especially grievous, um, you know, where it's very clear, like these, these are, these sins are especially uh, problematic, that they're, they're greater in some way. Um, we also see that some sin is called sin unto death. So like 1 John five sixteen talks about that, that it's sin that can actually, if unrepented, lead to physical death. And of course, there is one, there was one unpardonable sin we see in Matthew 12, right, which um, the, the Jewish leaders uh, committed in that one moment. I don't believe it's a repeatable sin, but it's a sin in the moment where the son of God, Jesus, showed himself to be God in irrefutable ways through the acts of the Holy Spirit working through him. And they said, no, you're actually of the devil. Um, the Old Testament also distinguishes different kinds of sin. It's interesting. There's sins of ignorance. And then sins of defiance and sins of defiance are more serious, have more strong uh, consequences. They need stronger uh, or sorry, greater uh, sacrifices to atone for them. But also, and this kind of goes back a little bit to what you were referring to in John 19, where Caiaphas, the Jewish high priest, where uh, Jesus says that his sin is greater than Pilate's. And that's because as the Jewish high priest, he had scripture, he had more light. And so for someone with more light and more understanding to then reject it is held with greater responsibility. And actually another example of that is in Matthew 11, 22 to 24, where it says, Jesus is saying, but I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted into heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Now that's important because this is getting at the fact that there are degrees of judgment, just as there are different degrees of sin. We know in, in other situations too that different sins will have greater degrees of judgment. Um, and, that's, and that's important to recognize because then I think that there's a, even a greater sense of justice, right? I mean, if God is truly just, yes, the penalty for any sin is death. James 2.10 says, if you break one command, you've broken them all, but there still will be different degrees of punishment depending on the kinds of sin. And, and I just think from personal experience, you know, anyone raising kids kind of knows that. And I know with our kids, we, we've often told them there will be different degrees of discipline based on the kind of, um, or the ways that you sin against us. If it's disobedience, that's one thing, there will be discipline. But if it's also um, connected with disrespect, well, that will carry further 
self-discipline, especially I tell my boys, if you disrespect your mom, but the worst is outward defiance. If you outwardly and just look us in the eye and defiantly and disrespectfully say, I will not comply, there will be far greater discipline. And we just recognize these are, these are different degrees of disobedience and therefore require different kinds of uh, discipline. And that'll be the case too, we, we see in these passages and others in the final judgment. Now, all that to say, let's, let's talk a little bit more about how this works itself out in the Christian life. How do we understand sin in general in the Christian life? Do we still sin? Should we expect to still sin? Should we expect to never sin if we do, you know, ABC? Or what should we make of sin in the Christian life? Yeah, I think it's a very good question to consider. And uh, I think that there is uh, historically a lot of confusion about uh, what sin looks like in, in a Christian's life. Now, uh, there's a few things that we want to make very clear, and uh, Ryrie made very clear as well at the start of chapter 39 on the Christian and sin. Uh, and that is that as Christians, uh, for one, we will not be sinless, uh, not on this life at least. And um, there, there's lots of verses that would make that very clear. Of course, the, the most clear would be in 1 John. And actually, 1 John is very key to understanding, I think, in my opinion, sin in the Christian life. Um, but uh, 1 John 1 verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So that one verse makes it very, very, very clear. Uh, we will not be sinless uh, in this life. Um, but so that, that's kind of the one ditch a person could fall into is to think that as Christians, we are to be 100% sinless. And of course, we strive for holiness. We want to be holy as God is holy. Yet we understand that we still have that sin nature that we talked about last week in us. And, uh, and as long as we're here on this earth until we've been glorified, we will not be made perfect. We will not be sinless. Uh, but that's the one ditch. The other ditch is that um, some people think that, well, because we've been saved, we have a license to sin. Uh, it's often called antinomianism. It's that we're, we're not bound whatsoever to, to any, uh, any law, basically. You can just do what you want. You have freedom in Christ. Um, but, of course, there's many, many, many verses uh, in, in the Bible that uh, make that very clear that we don't have the freedom to just go about sinning. Romans 6 right away comes to mind. Uh, should we continue sinning so that grace may abound? Uh, no, absolutely not. God forbid. So, uh, right there, you kind of see that there's Christian is supposed to be somewhere in the middle, and now where exactly that is, uh, that's that's a whole nother conversation. But we understand we will not be sinless, nor are we supposed to just act and live in such a way that I'm free, I'm saved, I can do what I want. And so I think again, if we go back to First John, we can see what our goal is to to be, and that is in First uh, John uh, one verse five, and I'll read a little, a little further than that as well. But it says, says this, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. I think verse seven there is very key. It tells us what we are to do. We are to walk in the light. That's our goal as Christians. Uh, again, we strive for holiness. We walk in the light, and God is light, as it says there. And if we want that, that fellowship with God, 
we must be walking in the light. Uh, even as Christians, we can we can have a little bit of that broken fellowship with God if we continue to live in sin. And so we want to strive for holiness. We want to strive for Christ-likeness, having the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, so that we can um, have that that fellowship with God that we so desperately need, and is also uh, such a, a great joy to have. Yeah. So in a sense, we could say this: the scriptures provides for us a realistic um, perspective on how we're going to experience sin in the Christian life. We cannot expect sinless perfection. That's not going to happen in this life. Praise the Lord. Someday it will, right? John 3, 2, when we see him, we will be like him. That's, that's wonderful. Um, but also at the same time, we are to be moving forward and doing what we can to grow in holiness, like God is holy. Not a perfect analogy, but with school, we always tell our kids, look, you're not going to be perfect. You're going to, you're not going to get hundred percent on all your tests and all your assignments. There's going to be mistakes. You need to be aware of that. Don't be crushed, right? When you don't do well on a test from time to time, what we want you to do though. And what matters to us is that you were doing your best, right? Um, do your best, use the, the tools you have to be growing in your knowledge of this or that subject and then do your best, but be realistic and understand it's, you're not going to be perfect. I think that's similar approach that we're given when it comes to the Christian life. Now there are the, the reason why John says uh, no one is sinless. If you say you don't have sin, you're a liar. The reality is that there are forces that keep us even as Christians from experiencing that sinless life. And there's, there's really these three forces. And uh, I think Ephesians two, one to three, all of them are there. They're all included as Paul paints this picture of who we are apart from Christ, who we are uh, in our sin nature as children of disobedience. Uh, it says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Here we go. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, that's Satan, the devil, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. That's the, the sin nature, carrying out our desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So there's, there's three forces there that are working against us and against our holiness. Two are outside of us, one is inside of us. And the first is the world. Now, the world does not mean the physical world. It doesn't mean other people. The, the world, as it's commonly used in the scriptures, refers to um, the sort of anti-God system that is out there that is um, ruled by Satan. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 talks about that, that Satan is the ruler of this world. And that is working against God and his ways. Um, that's the first the first uh, force that is working against us, trying to keep us from sinlessness. First uh, John 2, 15 to 16 talks about that and why we are not to love the world, right? Because it says the, the world is not of the father. It's not of God. It's not of the light. It's not holy. And he, he explains it this way in verse 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the father, but from the world. And so there's that, that pull right from that. Uh, but then the other outward force is the devil is Satan here called in Ephesians, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience. The devil is also working against us. Now, 
not the devil personally, he's not omnipresent, he's not everywhere, but his, his minions, his, his demons, right? And later in chapter six of Ephesians, we're told about them and we're reminded that our battle is not against flesh and blood, ultimately against people, but it is against these spiritual forces that are trying to uh, keep us from living in holiness for God. First Peter 5, 8 likens Satan to a lion who is prowling out to seek and destroy um, in 2 Corinthians, we're told as well that uh, 4.4, that he's a deceiver. He wants to deceive us elsewhere, that he hide, disguises himself as an angel of light, trying to thwart God's purposes in our, life, in our lives. But then finally, the other force is within us, and that's the flesh, which doesn't mean our physical bodies, but our sin nature. And that's clear here. Uh, and elsewhere, John 8, 3 to 4, Jesus says, whoever practices sin is a slave of sin. There's this sin nature that had dominion over us prior to knowing Christ. Romans 6, 8, though, tells us that now in Jesus Christ, we've died to the flesh. We've died to that sin nature. It no longer has ultimate authority over us. We don't have to do what our sinful nature and passions say to do. We can now say no but nevertheless, it's still there in the battle. Galatians 5.17 talks about how the spirit and the flesh war against each other and battle each other, and that there's still going to be some of these works of the flesh in our lives. And so those three forces are all working against us to try to keep us from experiencing more holiness and victory over sin. Anything you'd want to add to that, Joe? Uh, yeah, that's basically what, what I was going to say as well. But I just think also, you know, there's so many examples throughout the Bible of all of these things and of people, uh, you know, waging war against all of these things. We see, of course, oftentimes just the, the world system, like like we said, the, the waging of war against the world happens uh, throughout the Bible in different circumstances, happens with uh, the devil as well. If you think back to the Garden of Eden, of course, there's the you know, he's coming against to deceive, even with Jesus, he tries to tempt Jesus to sin. And you see, of course, well, Jesus filled with the spirit uh, quite easily uh, overcomes that, uh, that temptation by, by Satan. But, uh, but we, we see it throughout the, the word. And of course, uh, people at, at war, even within themselves and their own human nature. And I, that's the one I'd say we probably see the most often in the word, maybe the most often in our own lives as well. Um, and I think there's just so many examples of that. I think uh, of someone like Peter, even, even post-Pentecost, uh, and, and he's, you know, he's passionate, he's a leader in the church, and yet it seems like he's even at war with himself uh, regarding, uh, you know, something like favoritism, as, as Paul kind of condemns him for in Galatians. Like, why, why are you just hanging out with the Jews? Like, what about the Gentiles? You can't be you can't just be casting them aside when the Jews are around. And I would argue that's because Peter's at war with his old self, um, with, with his old nature. He's got this, this kind of battle going on. And in that instance, uh, the self is, is winning out and Paul comes and walks in and, and um, uh, condemns him, which is a good thing. But I just wanted to point out that there's so many biblical examples of this and also that we need to be very aware of this in our own lives as well, all of these things and recognize that there is there are these wars uh, that are going on and we do want to strive to um, walk in the light as god is in the light yeah exactly so if you're listening to this and at some point as a christian you were told maybe at the beginning when you first uh, put your faith in jesus or maybe at a subsequent time that somehow the christian life would be easy 
that somehow it would just be one victory over another. And that if that's not what you're experiencing, something must be terribly wrong with you. The reality is we are at war spiritually, war within ourselves, with our flesh, war with the world and with the devil. There are all these forces working against us that makes the Christian life in some senses even harder because now we are seeking holiness, which is something that all these forces are working against. <clears throat> now, we said before, obviously as believers, as Christians, uh, the ultimate consequence of sin has been taken away. We, we do not face death and judgment from God anymore. However, in this life, as we commit personal sins as Christians, there still can be some other non-eternal consequences that we face. One of them, which Joey already mentioned clearly from 1 John, is loss of fellowship. 1 John 1.3 makes it very clear that that's why John is writing this uh, epistle that believers would experience greater fellowship with God and with the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and then, as you read before, uh, verse 6 and 7 says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus son cleanses us from our sins. So uh, we lose that fellowship, that closeness when we walk in the dark. Uh, we also can lose our joy. And again, 1 John 1, 4, uh, John says the reason he wants people to, these, these believers who he's writing to originally and us as well, to experience this closer fellowship with each other and with God is that there's this joy. He says, have this fellowship. You know, I'm writing these things that your joy may be complete. Our joy may be complete. There's this joy that we, and we, and we all know what that's like as Christians. You know, I once heard someone say the difference between a believer and a non-believer is not that one sins and the other doesn't, but that one sins and enjoys it and the other sins and cannot enjoy it. And I think, I know I personally experienced that at a time of rebellion in my life as a teenager, um, you know, going headlong into all sorts of sin that unbelieving friends seemed to be enjoying. And I was more miserable than ever before. I couldn't enjoy it, right? Losing that joy of walking in fellowship with God. Also, as it says in verse six, our, our walk is then darkened, right? And we have a hard time seeing uh, the truth and, and walking in light. Um, chapter two, verse 10 says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light in him. There's no cause for stumbling. Well, when we walk in the darkness, we stumble, right? But then also one other one, just from first John is that the consequence of personal sin in the Christian life is that it weakens our prayer. Uh, this is something we see in a number of places, but in first John three, verse 19 to 22, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Uh, Jesus says something similar in John 14, or sorry, 15, verse 7, where he says, If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be given to you. In other words, if we're walking in close fellowship with God and we are growing in our understanding of his word, we're going to pray more in line with his will and we're going to see more of our prayers answered. But if we're not, we're living in sin, our prayers will be weakened. Uh, one other passage, just really quick, is in 1 Peter 3, where it actually tells husbands that if you are sinning against your wife and not being understanding and gentle, but rather abusing her, not leading her properly, he says your prayers will be not answered. So what would be some other consequences of sin in the Christian life, Joe? Well, there's a, a few other that we see that are, are quite serious as well. Um, uh, although, of course, like we've already said, spiritual death is, uh, we, we don't have to face that as Christians anymore uh, for our sins as we've been uh, forgiven. We do see that actually in a few circumstances, 
uh, that death, physical death, is a consequence for sin, as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, as there were believers who were uh, partaking in the Lord's Supper improperly, and again, showing a lot of favoritism. Uh, that was, seemed to be a, a big issue in the early church, um, especially in Corinth. And, uh, and we see there in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30, that uh, some of the people were, were dying as a result. I'll read it here. It says, that is why many of you are weak and ill. So again, there's that, uh, some of them were just sick. Uh, again, I'd say that that can be a consequence. Um, but then it goes on to say, and some have died. And again, this is as a result of taking the Lord's Supper improperly. And, uh, and we also see uh, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 5, seems like the Corinthians had a bit of a sin problem, uh, which uh, they did. Um, but uh, in, in chapter 5, we see that sometimes the penalty for sin is excommunication from, uh, from a local body, from a church, um, which uh, of course can still happen today as well. And so uh, we still see that even though as Christians, of course, we, we have eternal life regardless of whether we continue sinning or not, our lives can sure be made a mess if we continue to sin. Uh, I mean, if we just look again at this list of consequences, loss of fellowship, loss of joy, uh, you know, uh, maybe our prayers are not being answered, uh, serious punishment like sickness, excommunication, even death. It's like, I, I'm certainly not lining up for those consequences. I'm pretty sure uh, for me to, to live by faith, to abide in in. Christ is a far, far better thing than to continue on uh, living in sin. And so, uh, again, I think if we really weigh these consequences of sin with, uh, with the positive consequence of abiding, uh, that, that should be a great, great motivation for us to continue to uh, walk in the light and, uh, and to uh, seek to live holy lives. Yeah, so there are all kinds of temporal consequences to sin in the Christian life. And there actually are also some eternal consequences. Of course, not loss of salvation, not judgment and death, but rather loss of rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ, where Jesus doesn't judge unbelievers for their sin. That's at the great white throne judgment, but rather where he judges believers for our works, what we do or don't do in this life and either gives us rewards or takes away rewards. So for example, there's many passages we could go to, but 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is his due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. What we do in this life um, the sin we commit, or in, in the other hand, the good we do, the, the ways we do, um, the good works we do as we abide in Christ, there will be rewards for that. And actually in other places, we're told about uh, at that seat, people because of sin that they were living in and not repenting of, that there will be some, some shame for it as well. Uh, not, not, not shame in the sense of because I'm, I'm going to be uh, held responsible for this in, in judgment, in in you know, not being able to enter God's kingdom, but just shame that, ah, why didn't I make better use of my life and everything that I had? So there are some real consequences to sin in the Christian life we need to consider. Now, in closing, Joe, let's just talk a little bit about how Christians should then respond to these personal sins so that we can gain some victory over them. And of course, the, one of the first things is what you mentioned before from 1 John, which is confession of sin. It simply means acknowledging our sins, saying what God says about it. When we do that, we, re we receive uh, the familial forgiveness we need in order to be close to the Father. 
So if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so confession of sin should just be a regular part of the Christian life daily that we come before him and just acknowledge, Lord, this is how I've sinned against you. Forgive me, cleanse me, and now uh, enable me to follow you and walk in the light. So confession of sins, one, what are some other uh, ways that we should respond to our sin? Well, I just want to add a little bit to uh, confession before we move on here, but um, uh, like as a, as a staff right now, we're reading a book called Side by Side by Ed Welch, and it, the chapter we just talked about this week was talking about the weight of sin and the importance of confession, and he does such a great job of showing how sin does just weigh a, a Christian down so much. We can read about that in like Hebrews uh, 12 verse 2, right? The, the sin that so easily entangles uh, and and it, it weighs us down. It slows us down in the in the race that we're running. But the awesome thing is, yeah, we have a way to make sure that that weight comes off, and that that way is uh, is confession. Uh, we can we can lay the weight down. We can lay it aside, and uh, and that's just uh, such a, a beautiful thing. And um, yeah, it's it's I think just a, a really a really amazing thing to understand that we have that freedom through confession, that we don't have to carry that weight around. And so uh, I just wanted to, to add that a little bit there uh, as far as confession. But another thing we can do, I think, is uh, walk in the spirit, as we see in Galatians 5, kind of like you mentioned before. We, we know that um, the, the old nature and the new nature and the spirit, they're, they're at war within us. Um, but we know that we can we can walk by the Spirit. We can depend on the Lord. We can uh, be strong in Him and in His mighty power in order to um, to combat sin, as we see in Ephesians six as well. And uh, I just think, in general, uh, just if we if we think about sin, something I thought about just a, a practical thing, and this isn't necessarily straight from the Bible. Um, but something I, I thought of a couple of weeks ago at youth group, actually, we were talking about personal sins and uh, I was, we were just talking about the, uh, the sacrificial system in the old, old covenant. And I just had the thought as like, could you imagine, like, could you imagine if we had to do that? Imagine just doing it for one day. If I'm, I'm not sure exactly how that would have worked, but you know, if, if every time you sinned, every time you had a sinful attitude or a sinful thought uh, or, or acted outwardly uh, in an outward sinful way uh, that you had to uh, go and you had to, um, you know, find a lamb, grab one of your lambs and uh, bring it to the temple for, for a sacrifice. Like the, the amount of work uh, that that would be, and also just the recognition of every time you send you having to go and do that, uh, it would be, it would be pretty crazy, I think. And, and so I think uh, when we think of our, our sin, our personal sins, and gaining victory over them, I think we also need to sometimes uh, pray, uh, as, as David does in the Psalms, like, God, search me and know me. And, uh, and we know that God knows our heart, but he can also reveal those deep-rooted sins that are, are maybe in us that maybe we have a blind spot to. He can reveal those things to us so that we can confess them, so that we can bring them forward. And, uh, and then we can, we can gain victory over them as we continue to walk by the spirit through the day-to-day -day life. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, another is just abiding in God's word, right? Which is similar to walking by the spirit as well. And uh, John 8, 31 to 32, 
Jesus says to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then later he shows free from the grip of sin in your life, uh, especially, and also Satan. Abiding just means remaining, remain in the word of God, read it, study it, listen to it, memorize it, meditate on it, hear it read and preached every Sunday, be in the word of God, because as we do, it frees us from the sin in our life. It shows us the truth. It exposes our sin and then gives us the resources to uh, overcome that sin progressively. I used this illustration a while ago of letting a, a dirty dish stain with food stains on it uh, remaining or abiding in hot soapy water and the, the stains just start to lift. Well, in the same way as we abide in God's word, that happens. And Jesus says later in John 17, 17, uh, in his prayer for, for his people, uh, he says, praise to the Father, sanctify them or make them holy, set them apart uh, from their sin by your truth. And he says, your word is truth. So that's really key. And I just want to say this. I think a lot of times when people are trapped in sin, overcome by sin, living in sin, don't see a way out, all of that, uh, often one of the first things they, they do because their conscience is bothering them is they uh, get out of the word. And they stop coming to church and sitting under the reading and preaching of the word and the ministry of the word. And that's the last thing you want to do. You want to come under that and let the word wash you and cleanse you and sanctify you. So abiding in the word. Um, another would just be fellowship with other believers, right? We, we need each other to help us overcome our sin. And one of the things we need to do especially is other believers who can help us see our blind spots. Um, you know, we all tend to view ourselves with somewhat rose-colored glasses, and there tends to be things in our life, sin in our life, error in our life that we just can't see for ourselves, and we need someone, a loving brother or sister in Christ to, to help us see that, and I think Hebrews 3, 12 to 13 gets at that. It says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need people in our lives to help us do that. And then one other final thing I would say um, is this uh, instruction that we're given, particularly in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, to put off and put on, right? Put off the old self, the, the old sin nature that does not have dominion over you anymore, and put on this new creation you are in Christ. Or you could say part of it means too is put off the old sinful habits that once dominated you and put on new ones. I think that's significant because sometimes we think it's just about not sinning, like not doing things that are wrong. And then that's how we grow in holiness, but it's also putting on new godly qualities and characteristics and attributes as well. And so there's that putting off and putting on that is also key every day. And, you know, it's like, I've said this before, a good practice is every day when you the beginning and the end of the day is you put on your old clothes and put on your new clothes. Just be reminded, Lord, is there anything in my life, any clinging sin that I need to put off right now and put on uh, the opposite characteristic in my life? So that's another important piece. Anything else you'd add to that, Joe, before we end? Uh, yeah, I just totally, totally agree that that putting, putting on the putting off is uh, such a huge and important thing for the, the Christians to continue doing. And uh, again, just recognizing in all this that if we're trying to um, respond to sin in our own strength, that we will not be successful. We need to rely on the Lord and, and on the Spirit who's within us uh, for His strength. Otherwise, uh, our travels, you know, that we're trying to go on to to hit victory, 
are going to fall short if we're, if we're trying on our own. We need the Lord, we need his strength. Absolutely, it's a great way to end. So join us next time when we will be discussing chapters 40 to 41 in the book, which will begin Ryrie's discussion on Christology or the biblical teaching on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You won't want to miss that. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and fellowship of the Holy Spirit abide with you now and forever. So long. See ya.